This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 27th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Abolitionists in the 19th century themselves differed largely on whether the Constitution was, at its core, a pro-slavery or anti-slavery document. Frederick Douglass, for his part, held both views at different times in his life. Damon Root is author of the new book, A Glorious Liberty, Frederick Douglass and the Fight for an Anti-Slavery Constitution. We spoke earlier this month. Set the stage for us here. Frederick Douglass, the great orator, writer, American thinker, uh, uh, I think it's almost fair to think of him as like the final founder in a way, the way that he presented ideas um, and absolutely bold in uh, his pronouncements about how the world works and uh, how people ought to think about things. Who were his allies in trying to understand the Constitution uh, as it existed in a particular way and what changes were needed to it, if any, to remedy uh, the great crime of slavery? So for the the first decade of his career as an abolitionist, Frederick Douglass is a self-described faithful disciple of William Lloyd Garrison. And Garrison's the great Massachusetts abolitionist, founder and publisher of The Liberator, the extremely important abolitionist newspaper. And Garrison's view is that the Constitution is a covenant with death and an agreement with hell. It's a pro-slavery document drenched in human blood. And Garrison thought that abolitionists should have nothing to do with the Union, nothing to do with the Constitution. He wanted the northern states, the free states, to secede from the Union. No union with slaveholders. That's the motto that adorns the liberator. And that is Frederick Douglass's view for 10 years, his first 10 years as a, as a professional abolitionist, the man giving speeches, writing articles, going out on the, on the stump. But Douglass starts to rethink the Garrisonian position. He, he moves out of Massachusetts when he starts his own newspaper, the, uh, the North Star. He moves to upstate New York, and he falls in with a group of people. That they were called the political abolitionists sometimes. These are the folks involved in the founding of the Liberty Party, abolitionist uh, political party. And so you have Garrett Smith, New York landowner, very important uh, philanthropist and funder of, of abolitionist causes. And Garrett Smith saw the Constitution as a weapon that the that the anti-slavery movement could use. He said, you look at the Constitution, it's full of these, these wonderful principles of liberty and equality. And of course, the word slavery appears nowhere in the Constitution. And so Douglas says that it's because he moves to New York State, he starts to encounter these other views he's, and he's challenged by them and he's thinking about them and he basically conducts his own deep study into the constitutional history text the writings of the founders and he has a basically a complete change of mind he says that interpreted as it ought to be interpreted the constitution is a glorious liberty document and it is our weapon the abolitionist weapon to abolish slavery in every state of the union so he goes from this the, the Garrisonian view of of basically that the Constitution is is an evil compact to this idea of it as a as as a as a purely document of liberty that absolutely should be wielded by by the anti slavery forces. In this sort of transition that Douglas makes, how much of that is is purely intellectual? How much of that is practical? Well, one of the things Douglas says as he's in, in the, so basically in the late 1840s, 1847, 1848 is when he's really starting to grapple with these ideas. And he's, and he, he comes to this realization. He says, you know, William Lloyd Garrison and John C. Calhoun, they look at the constitution and they both see the same thing, uh, a pro-slavery document. And Douglas starts to, I think starts to 
get tired of it was as way he puts it is I'm, I, I don't want to keep putting an oar in the water on the on the slaveholder side, making the same kind of argument, essentially, that Calhoun is making. So I think that that's something that's in his mind. But it's absolutely an, an intellectual development. Um, one of the one of the people who's most influential in Douglas's thinking is this radical abolitionist named Lysander Spooner. And he writes a book in the in the mid 1840s called The Unconstitutionality of Slavery. And this is the most thoroughgoing exposition of the the argument that the Constitution can and should be used for anti-slavery purposes and that there's no sanction for slavery within it when you when you really look at the the language and you and the absence of the term slavery. And and Spooner says that the test is if someone who had no knowledge of the existence or non-existence of slavery, no knowledge of American history, essentially just just came, you know, an alien out of space came and read the Constitution, would they think it was pro or anti-slavery? And they would think it was anti-slavery because there's no sanction for it, the term's not there, et cetera. And, and this is in the mid-1840s, this is a huge debate between uh, Spooner and, and Garrett Smith on one side and then um, William Lloyd Garrison and then his lieutenant, Wendell Phillips. Uh, both the Massachusetts uh, abolitionists and Wendell Phillips writes basically a book length attack on Spooner's book. So these these things are out there and 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 are being read and being debated. And Douglas follows this very closely, studies these debates, and um, and you can you can you can look at his letters. And I and I talk about this in the book: his his letters, his private correspondence, his speeches, his editorials. You can see him grappling you know, in real time, essentially, with these arguments. And he doesn't, he doesn't change his mind overnight by any means. It takes him several years, and he really broods and studies and thinks and wrestles with it. And then, but then finally, by, the, by uh, 1851, he's, he, he, he's, he's ready to go public with this new point of view. And at, the, at a meeting of anti-slavery activists, he announces his change of mind, and it basically causes practically a riot on the floor. Garrison denounces him. Garrison says that the only reason you changed your mind is because you wanted Garrett Smith's money. Accuses of being, uh, you know, like a, a sellout and a, um, you know, just 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 seeking that kind of financial backing and being unprincipled. And so the the two of them have a pretty nasty break. It's one of the uglier political divorces in American history. And um, I think ultimately, if you if you you know kind of fast forward to the to the era of the to when the Civil War breaks out, you actually see Garrison start moving towards the Douglas position because the idea of pacifism, non-voting, non-involvement in the political process. Uh, the North seceding from the South and from the Union. I mean, all of those things are turned upside down by the Civil War and, and Garrison ultimately is, ends up closer to where Douglas was. So I think Douglas, just as a historical matter, wins wins on, on that way. Uh, you, you were talking about this uh, uproar at a meeting, and I feel like I've attended uh, meetings like this where uh, some pretty bold pronouncements are made. And uh, in in my mind, a lot of those times, I'm thinking, well, you guys are on the same side here. Uh, why this this horrible difference of opinion? And it, this, in some ways, it seems like a, a tactical issue that it is uh, whether or not somebody would reject the Constitution as a document. What what was the what was the real importance of coming to a resolution on? whether or not the Constitution itself was an anti-slavery document when you see a, a civil war looming? Well, on the one hand, Garrison is a pretty imperious fellow, um, and so he didn't brook dissent from his point of view. So there's, there's, And also Douglas, his sort of former student, Douglas described Garrison as his mentor, and then Douglas starts to eclipse his former teacher in many ways. So I think there's a, a, a bit of personal 
uh, disagreement there. That's part of it. But in practical terms, you have political parties, anti-slavery political parties starting to form. So you have the, the Liberty Party, then the Free Soil Party, and then that becomes the Republican Party. And the question of whether the anti-slavery people should be involved in those parties is, is hugely important. And Garrison and his allies have this, this view. It's, it's, it's a deeply moral. These are deeply religious people, but it's a deeply moral view that slavery is so uh, profoundly staining that we, we can't have anything to do with it. And we have to, we have to fight it, but also from a position of, of great sort of moral purity. And so nothing to do with political parties, nothing to do with voting, nothing to, and then of course the constitution, which they see as the sanction for all of this. Um, certainly, I think history has borne out that the Douglas approach, which is to use politics and use the constitution, that, that becomes what the Republican party is all about in the 1850s and Abraham Lincoln and Solomon P. Chase, um, who was Lincoln's treasury secretary, later chief justice of the Supreme Court, but a, probably the most important Republican legal theorist at, at that time. Uh, I think that it's, it's pretty clear their views is in a practical sense, certainly are, are, were the, were the better way to go, but you can't discount the, the, the powerful moral arguments and moral fervor that Garrison stirs up. And so in a way you looking historically at this, you see that both sides are necessary, that you need these radicals who are just so uncompromising. And they're like, and they are just, it's hellfire and brimstone denouncing slavery, denouncing the constitution. If you have anything to do with it, you're absolutely evil. You, you sort of need that. Um, and Frederick Douglass is this figure who has a foot in both camps, like literally because of his evolution, but also even when he becomes a political abolitionist, he is, he is preaching hellfire and brimstone against slavery. Also his great speech in 1852, the 4th of July oration, where he says that, you know, there's no crime uh, greater in history than what's happening right now in these United States. And that's why the 4th of July to, to, to black Americans is this, is this slap in the face, because we look at these principles of liberty and equality in the declaration and in the constitution. And then we, then we see what we're experiencing. I mean, that is not a middle of the road, you know, uh, centrist kind of way to talk about issues. Right. He was invited to address a crowd on what they believed was a great celebration. And he said, no, 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 it's your celebration, not mine. That's right, and and so he 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 bridges those two approaches, um, and and speaks speaks to to the to and and you know the the, the radical abolitionists of of the, the of the Garrisonian persuasion. I mean, they, they they still have a lot of respect for Douglas. The break between Douglas and Garrison is is pretty bitter, and there's a lot of recriminations for some time. But um, Douglas continues to be this great spokesman for the anti-slavery cause, and and is 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 much of a unifying force between these two factions as, as you probably could get uh, in the 18, 1840s, 1850s. So what was the, I mean, obviously the Civil War, uh, uh, awful, horrific, very bloody war uh, in U.S. history. Uh, what was the impact of that argument uh, on the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments? Well, one of the things that happens right at the end of the Civil War just shortly after the the Union victory is is secured and and Lee's Lee's surrender uh, at Appomattox, is that the the American Anti Slavery Society has a, has a big meeting, and William Lloyd Garrison and some of his allies they say, well, it's time to disband the American slavery Anti Slavery Society. We have we have prevailed. You know, we we founded this organization three decades ago, and now we have achieved our our goal. Slavery is is dead and buried. It's gone forever. 
And Frederick Douglass was sort of not so quick to agree with that. He said, yes, slavery's gone, but you know, we have to we have to worry about all of the ways that the that the former slaveholders can start to to re-enslave us, can start to just chip away at the at the things that have been won. And so he wasn't ready to let his guard down in, in the same way. And so the the 15th Amendment was something that was near and dear to his heart. He thought voting rights were just one of the most important things. Um, th- that that could protect the liberty of of the freedmen and women. Uh, he he also uh, absolutely supported the 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 Fourteenth Amendment and its idea of national citizenship and national rights. That the Bill of Rights uh, did not just bind the federal government, but but binded the states. And so, when the Supreme Court uh, guts that in the slaughterhouse cases in 1873, Douglas, uh, there's this great letter, this great exchange between him and Garrett Smith, where Douglas denounces the the slaughterhouse decision. Um, so he's. I, I think of Douglas uh, as absolutely as a as a founding father, and 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 the and the sort of the Civil War Reconstruction era uh, second founding, as as Eric Foner and others have called it. I mean, Douglas, I think is is one of the titans of of that period. And so, if you if you want to think of the anti-slavery legal and political philosophies that that feed into the Reconstruction amendments, um, I think you have to you have to look at Douglas as one of the architects, intellectual architects of those. And and the fact that he's not a lawyer by training, he's he's I mean he taught himself how to read. You know, he's he liberates himself, teaches himself how to read, and then he goes on to teach the country all about the the sort of true meaning of the founding and the declaration and these principles that he always hewed so closely to i think it's 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 just remarkably inspiring um that that he's so so important and influential in in that way yeah he was uh, the kind of person who there are few people in american history who understood i think self ownership better than frederick douglass Oh, absolutely. You know, they, he, he really took the, this, if you go back to your John Locke, this idea of, of, of self-ownership is the, is sort of the origin of this natural rights, liberal, uh, liberal, liberal philosophy. I mean, Douglas took that, that idea and ran with it and was, and you can see in his, in, in the way he's engaging with pro-slavery theorists like John C. Calhoun and George Fitzhugh and, and others and, and Chief Justice Taney, author of the Dred Scott opinion. Douglas is always returning to those kind of bedrock liberal principles of self-ownership and individualism and um, and and the way that they course through the the Declaration and the Constitution. And in fact, you find that the pro-slavery theorists who he's who he's fighting with, you see them backing away from that tradition. In fact, John C. Calhoun explicitly repudiates John Locke. He repudiates Thomas Jefferson. He basically says that Jefferson, by introducing this idea of of inalienable rights into the into the Declaration of Independence, it was a, it was a terrible mistake. We didn't need to do it. Um, he said it it introduced this sort of uh, this germ that eventually bore poisonous fruits. And he's talking about people like Frederick Douglass and the abolitionists who took the Declaration of Independence, you know, at its word. Um, so that's that's absolutely. I think Douglas is one of the great proponents of Lockean liberalism in the 19th century. He's sort he's not always recognized that way, but I think that that's so it's a it's a key to understanding his his thinking and what was and and it's really a kind of a just a solid line that runs runs through his thinking, even as he's at the having these different views on the Constitution. That's something that's always there. Yeah, it's weird to think of uh, somebody like Fitzhugh or John C. Calhoun um, or Tawney as sort of post-liberal at a time when uh, if they're moving away from these liberal ideas that uh, and using them to defend slavery, it seems like they're both conservative and post-liberal. Yeah, no, there's, there's interesting, um, 
there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff that feels very contemporary in some of these debates because the, the debates about liberalism we're we're having those again right now for sure, and um, but also debates about the Constitution and 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 slavery's role in American history. I mean, this idea of is is the founding just you know drenched in blood and evil and irredeemable. Um, that you know that was the Garrisonian view, and that so that's not a that's not a new argument. And so the the arguments that Douglas and Garrison have about the Constitution, about the founding, I mean, they what people are having those kind of kind of debates right now, and that's one of the things that's that's really interesting in in reading their exchanges and following it is to see that these are these are things that Americans Americans fight about. Um, I I do think Douglas has some very he's he's worth studying, he's worth reading, he's got some really really powerful ways to think about this stuff. Damon Root is author of A Glorious Liberty, Frederick Douglass, and the Fight for an Anti-Slavery Constitution. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.